Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lambkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lambkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com Hey everybody, welcome to a, another Cannabis Legalization News. I'm one of your hosts, Tom, a uh, cannabis industry lawyer. Uh, before we get into the, the actual new stuff, I want to just give a shout out to Mars Hydro. And if you have not yet, um, this is our last week to get into the sign up for winning this MH150. Uh, you can do that by going over to CannabisIndustryLawyer.com and uh, filling out a form there. Uh, and then... I also want to give a shout out to Homegrown Cannabis Co. Uh, check them out. And of course, uh, hit one of those like buttons and then drop us an actual comment about what types of cannabis laws that you would like us to explain so that, uh, you know, we explain them and you can change them. That's how democracy works. Uh, we have a great guest today. We have Johnny Rabo from Respect My Region. And then, of course, the main story has to do with something that Joe Biden said about what they're going to be doing or not doing prior to the midterms. So let's go ahead and get into it. What's up, Joey? Thanks for coming on the program, man. Yo, yo, what's going on? How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. Miggy's uh, running a little late, but he'll be here in in a moment. I um, decided to wear a name tag today for one real good reason. I was at a political fundraiser, uh, and now I'm not. And everybody kind of knows my name here, so don't need it. But uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us. We're going to talk all about the cannabis legalization news of the week and then also uh, the Respect My Region podcast. Well, actually, um, why don't you explain a little bit? What is uh, what is it that you do? And uh, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so uh, my name is Joey. I'm one of the two co-owners for RespectMyRegion.com. We're a music, cannabis, and technology publication, and we also double as a marketing agency for small businesses, most often in the world of cannabis. Uh, this, you know, this day and age, we're doing a lot of PR, uh, text messaging, kind of just content creation and campaigns to help just the sell through of products at dispensaries, you know, helping them get on the shelves and helping them sell off the shelves. Right. So uh, very important. So important, yeah. especially when you have, you have a robust industry, like the industry in Illinois, Bah, crap compared to the industry that you guys have in California or in other states where it is much more accessible to get a cannabis yeah. license as opposed to like where I'm at in Illinois good luck getting one of those I mean like I had to like even my perfect applications didn't get a perfect and, and so like you'd have to then sue 
because the state will screw up how they um, judge your application. And if you guys have tried to apply in a state that's really, really tough, you can visit us over at collateralbase.com. We can help you out. And then it gets even worse because then you have to raise the money. You know, you, mm -hmm. get the, you get the license. The license is very, oh, you think then you're, you're on easy street. No, now you actually have to get into operation. And cannabis is a farm. You know, it's a grind. You have to do it every freaking day. They're there. Yeah. Yeah, and and you have to make sure everything's perfect. Every I have yet day. to meet somebody who, in the year one of their launch, whenever they hit the wreck market, I have yet to meet anybody, whether they've been in the game since year one and it's five years later, or seven years later, and twenty years, whatever it is, I've yet to meet anybody who, after their very first run, as soon as they the building was you know funded and yeah, built, they give and the very the, first do they give no. a certificate of operation? What do they give in California? Because like in Illinois, like they, they just, they, you know, the regulators are just doing their job. That's really what they're doing. They just want to make sure you're following the rules. And so when they give you your certificate of operation, then, yeah, you're now allowed to bring in the clones from the stork that magically birthed yeah. them out. Um, None of, no one's harvest was their best. No, no. You're, you're in a whole new commercial operation that you've yeah. never done a run in before, you know. Uh, but they get dialed in over time and then uh, the yields come up uh the prices you know that's one of the things with the stuff that i try to like advise my clients on to i'm like no uh see if you can make the pound of weed for free can you because like mind your margins as soon as somebody it's going to be cropped over next month somebody's going to be flooding the market i mean i've yeah. seen tens of thousands of cannabis plants growing in the sun in michigan what do you think is going to happen when they hit uh, granted, there will be like oils and edibles on sale, but you know, some of that sun-grown may become premium flour. I don't know. If you guys like sun-grown, let me know in the comments. Or like, uh, you know, because the usual live feed is pretty good. One of the things that we're going to be doing, uh, one of our guests uh, next week doesn't ask me anything about uh, cannabis industry and licensing and whatnot. Uh, and so I'll just start doing that as the reason to stick around at the end of the show. Uh, we're going to talk all about cannabis licensings and whatnot, but, um, or, or you can ask me stuff. The thing that we should move on to, though, is our main story from the week, which was just reported um, Friday. Uh, Biden doesn't plan any marijuana moves ahead of the midterms, according to a White House source. What do you think mm -hmm. about that, uh, Joey? Is that uh, just more of the same from a do-nothing administration or, you know? I, I think I, um, here's, here's my view on the whole cannabis thing. It's easy to talk about it. It's easy to stay in the buzz about it. It's easy to stay on the fringe about all that stuff uh, when you're when there's just so much going on in the world. I don't think that it's at the forefront of anyone's mind because there's just other things taking that priority. Now, I'm not I'm in cannabis. I want it. I'm sitting, you know, having on record. I want it federally legal. I know that many of the businesses and the people in the industry don't like the way it's going to be set up. It'll squeeze more money out. It's only for the MSOs is really what it's here for. But you guys got to understand, this is about lives. This is about people getting access to it. So yeah. I'm on that part of it. Uh, yeah. Whatever, a lot of a lot of whatever it takes to get to that point, that's kind of where, I, where, where my stance is. It's unfortunate. What about with the interstate commerce? Because I could see that going to, like the interstate commerce issue rolling out, I could see mm -hmm. that being sticky and, and gumming this process up for another 24, 36 months at the federal level. Because in Illinois, you can't get a license unless you're social equity. In New York, yeah. you can't get a license unless you're justice involved. In, in New Jersey, 
you can get a license, but they, they want you to be like in the, one of the top priorities. Priority one is social equity. Priority two is like uh, diversely owned. Uh, and as a result, uh, most of these programs all violate the Dormant Commerce Clause because they all self-deal to very specific areas in their own states. And so like the Illinois uh, Social Equity Program is a great example. We have lawsuits on file to invalidate it, not because we don't believe in it, but because it's all about self-dealing to that one state. So it violates the Dormant Commerce Clause. So something they might try to do in um, uh, legalizing it federally is ensuring that the Dormant Commerce Clause does not apply to the market. And therefore, mm -hmm. one state can discriminate against another state. What does that do to states like California that want to be a net exporter? Because then they can't move their product out of their own state. I, our, our brand is, in, is based out of Seattle. I live in L.A. So I like to base federal legalization mindset on what I experienced in Seattle because they built Washington state built their model using uh, the liquor and they created like a new thing called the liquor and cannabis board. So they took liquor policies and alcohol policies and this culture and mindset of how that, and they tried to replicate it at scale and then infuse it with cannabis. Now, did they do it right? No one's done it right. <laughs> but in terms of scalable mindset, I do foresee this alcohol bone structure mm -hmm. and, a culture of probably leaning that direction in terms of how thing, a lot of it's going to go. You got to look upwards uh, north to Canada in terms of how they've rolled things out. Uh, laws will be changed. They will be rewritten. Within the first six months of Washington's legalization, things changed very drastically. I would anticipate more of that uh, in other areas and states. But right oh, now, absolutely. it's just about getting things pushed through right now. Yeah, they can re then, gotta get they, it pushed through. Illinois was amending their laws during the application process. So they're mm -hmm. changing the rules of the game while you're playing it. It's ridiculous. But every state does this. They all, it's a brand new law and they're all trying to figure it out in their own particular way because they want to do it. They don't want to listen to somebody else. And so I mean, that's one of the things that I like about the people, federal. Yeah. Admittedly, the people in the positions to review these applications, admittedly, the people that are in the government, mm -hmm couldn't traditionally smoke weed so how would they know this how would they know to get it all perfect there's no chance right. how so, can you have a merit-based application scored by somebody who's never touched the product yeah what's merit the mer merit is different to each of these people right so mm -hmm. it's 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 not, it's an imperfect system um and we just have to be patient with that and then make sure that we we as figures in the space make sure to educate and empower other people to make informed decisions and then hopefully show up when it's when it's their turn yep but then like you know this is the thing that just just gets me like you know so the the press secretary for the president uh, is on record here quoting uh the president believes there are too many people serving unduly long sentences for non-violent drug crimes a disproportionate number of whom are black and brown uh, the press secretary said and so like that's given something to their base saying like hey we're gonna try to help you but it's also totally ignoring that Joe Biden caused the problem. Like he was in the Senate in the nineties, in the crime bill, in the times that created all these disparities that created yeah. all this type of uh, enforcement that it tended to hurt people that were black and brown. And now why would we, why do we want them to like, remember what happened 20 to 30 years ago when we want them to vote for us in November, try to promise them something. Uh, and, and so I, I just don't get it. Like if he's saying that, you can let the people out of prison right now. Yeah. You can commute their sentence. You can let them out. And so if he really would, 
wanted to change the policy on this. Why is anybody still in federal prison for this plant when people are becoming millionaires, billionaires, publicly traded companies, you know, capital raises in the millions of dollars? Uh, that glass house place in, in California, it's huge. Hundreds of thousands of square foot of canopy. Nobody's mm -hmm. coming to mm -hmm. shut them down. Higher. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That is, huge, <laughs> that is a huge facility. Add, some, add another zero to that. My goodness, that is that's ridiculous. Yeah. That it's so we, large. I, I'll you know I'll go on record too about the Glasshouse Group because they're in the news right now and the culture right now. They're getting torn up for uh, a, a a relationship with with the police. You know, former police officer turned and got into cannabis. You know, it's the same situation that you're talking about right now with the Joe Biden's thing, right? You know, officers, law enforcement, government officials, people that have been a part of putting people into jail or into prison, black, brown. Asian immigrants, uh, legal or not, regular rightful citizens or not, just people that just you know went after those kinds of groups. It's a tough position to be in when now they want to get in cannabis, when now they want to do when, when they want to get into what will be the psilocybin culture down the road. Oh I from, I'm only thirty yesterday on that. You know, I don't I don't know what it's like to have been doing things like that, and then for a part of my life, and then thirty years later, now I'm I'm trying to ask these people to, to believe in me that I'm here to, you know, that I got their back on, you know, something. Oh, somebody wanted to be a, a, like, and this was one of those like job, because a lot of people ask me to work, you know, for the company. And I'm like, well, how much of a hustler are you? Uh, do you have a book of business? Sell me something. Uh, and then like, what have you done? That's amazing. Uh, this person was like, she put um, weapons training on her resume. Like with, like, you know, because she's been in law enforcement for 12 years. And I'm sitting there going like, no, really, are you a narc? Like, seriously, like, what, why do you want to get into this industry after your long career in law enforcement as a lawyer? Um, what, you know, it, it, and so it just made no sense. Like I got into this and I could finally use my real name. And uh, Chase Bank has not kicked me out. By the way, Chase Bank, don't. I'm a law firm. Clearly not a tier two MRB. I might be a tier two MRB. Just I'll play devil's advocate. I'll play devil's yeah. advocate on this because if we're gonna, uh, uh, I have a friend and he'll he'll remain nameless. Yeah, but he was military law enforcement. So what is the difference between what this he went through and why veterans? No, 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 no. Yeah. But again, what's the difference between the various forms of military versions of people who are? It's you know we want them to get the access versus right. our police force, our firemen, you know, et cetera, so on and so forth. And so um, I, I just to play devil's advocate, I'm I'm for giving all types of people numerous chances. I'm for people, you know, waking up one day or working to be a better person. I myself is an example of that, trying to be the best that I can. However, when you have a history of putting people in jail or in prison for things, the only thing I can think of in terms of why Biden or Trump or whoever didn't do the legalization process, uh, I think there's pressure from other industries Very I much. Think that we don't hear about as often as it might seem. I think there's lots of conversations and I think that all of a sudden stuff happens in the re regular reality of whatever is it, it's like to be in their positions that obviously would not allow them to expunge tens of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. You see, uh, I also think it's 
the pressures from the industry, I think, are also from in our own house. I think there's pressures from the industry, from companies like the publicly traded ones that all they didn't like approach this as if it was agriculture and like how I mean, nobody ever said like this will be the most expensive head of lettuce you'll ever buy, which is just silly. You know, like they're, they're not approaching it from it's an agricultural commodity as much as they're approaching mm-hmm. it like it's plutonium. And so, of course, like Aurora Cannabis and a lot of these other ones lose money, but they don't want to lose market share and they already have cash flow enough that they can start buying politicians. Um, and, yeah, and, that, real, and none and, of these cannabis businesses make as much money as the dairy industry. None of them make as much money as 99% of the products in probably 90% now of the products in grocery stores because cannabis did just outsell like, alcohol in numerous areas. So like there's a lot of reasons why out, out, these other pressures, these other industries, why they would want things to stay how they are compared to just one series of chirp, 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 chirp. And it's just one. He's got, you know, imagine being the president. you got 50 other industries telling you to keep things as it is. Right? That's right. Exactly. So, Miggy. Joey. Thank you. What's yeah, up, man? What's I up, didn't know Joey's the guest today, man. I would have. Yeah, Joey's the uh, guest. At least, I mean, I could have done shit. I'm a dad. So, like, I had a fucked up baby and a dad. So, that's why I'm late. And then every technical thing went wrong that could go wrong. So, but well, I showed look, up at you, home. You look good. You sound good right now. Yep. Coming Great, in clear. man. Thanks, thanks. Yep. Awesome, dude. Couple of Seattle boys. Uh, wait, actually, uh, Joey, uh, you said you're in Washington <laughs> State, but I, I don't know if you're particularly uh, located. You know, I realize you're in LA right now, but uh, what part of Washington State were you coming from? Uh, I'm from. Uh, I grew. I'm not from Washington State. I grew up there, lived there, became who I am there. I am from Renton, Kent area. Oh, cool. Fairwood. Let's go. <laughs> well, we got some news out of Florida. Yeah, this is uh, an interesting one. The Florida. Florida Attorney General Commissioner wants to overturn medical cannabis dosage limits. This came out on Friday uh, by T.G. Branfeld. I have to get him back on the podcast. Uh, Florida Commissioner of Agriculture yeah. Nikki Freed. She's trying to run for, um, I believe, governor in 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 Florida. Yeah, but she's always been very very <laughs> uh, pro cannabis there, and she has a quote. Uh, This reflects a lack of understanding of medical cannabis by the Department of Health and the OMMU, which I believe is their regulatory authority for medical cannabis in uh, Florida. And it's best act and it is at its best. It is an act of cruelty. At worst, we are sending strong message to DeSantis to put patients first, protect their access to legal life saving medicine and roll back these restrictions. I will never stop fighting for our medical cannabis patients and full legalization. So, um, what do you guys think about Florida cannabis? That's the worst. Well, Joey, you know more about the... Have you been to Florida? I have... Any events? I have three, three humans on our team that are in Florida. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Two, and then one in South Georgia. Now, formerly South Georgia. She's just got to New York. Um, okay. Florida has a lot and this is not this is what i hear all the time it has very average weed nothing qualifies as top shelf with the exception of two to three brands which i'll talk about in a second and a lot of stuff is moldy due to the climate unfortunately yeah. it's tough because you got to think even if you grow and cultivate the, the the perfect product on your end and then get sold and transported to someone right right I, even if it's, critical, it's coming from here and going to there true so, but then like you're like that, that's the florida model the florida model is full vertical integration as many dispensaries yeah. as you can so if you are mm. if it's your own product and your own dispensary that's your supply chain problem correct correct you made no, that but mistake. Me on this, 
everyone's on the same playing field because as soon as it, the climate's different, they have truly have microclimates that vary from top to bottom of the state, east to west, all the different, whatever it is, right? Because there's even islands and stuff that are attached to that or whatever. So it's like, there's a unique situation there, but this is where they're truly on the even playing field. The same version of that problem in a whole different end of the spectrum applies to NorCal, SoCal, the desert, right? Colorado and the different varying climates and elevations, Washington, east to west. There's no excuse, right? At the end of the day, they've got to figure out how to get the moisture to stabilize over time. So that way it doesn't grow it. Either grow less. The the tech's already out there though, you know? Grow less of something so it sells faster. Do figure out a different way of doing this cannabis retail process, this this whole vertical integration, to get something to maybe grow and sell in a shorter period of time, so that way you don't have products sitting on a shelf, mm-hmm. getting moldy because weed has moisture. Let's just think about it. Doesn't fruit sitting on your counter get moldy over time? Yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's a nitrogen in, installation or like a, that's a nitrogen blast and then sealing the canisters. And maybe that's something for the regulators to mandate in a state like Florida where you have these humidity and mold problems. But mm-hmm. uh, very important uh, things passing across our desk right now. It is 420, not just in somewhere, but in the 422 East Coast. 422 is 422. 422. Well, whatever, you know, sometimes we, we start <laughs> it's this 422. Late. It's 20 past the hour. It's 420 <laughs> somewhere. We're going to take a quick break. Hey guys, I'm not sure if you were able to check it out last week, but we did drop our Cannabis Trademark 101 redux of the webinar that we had. Another thing that you can do when you go over to CannabisIndustryLawyer.com and fill out that form to see if you're qualified to get into the industry is uh, get all these emails that we will send you and you can sign up to our webinars. This one was on Cannabis Trademarks 101 and now it's been turned into the blog post about cannabis trademarks and you can find all of that look at all that great seo that's right we we (laughs) seo the google for all of the the stuff that we give google you know mad props to google they are paying for my existence and and so um we We need to do an episode about that hey turn we're going to turn that blog post into an episode we're going to we're going to link up it'll be it'll be our digital trapper institute podcast times that about that all what you just talked about we don't have a partner for any of that to be talked about that's for like uh cannabis trademarks and like the legal crap come on man digital trapper institute if you're a digital trapper you're a marketer you're building brands you got to know all of these things that's right and then we do we we cover it right here these are the best types of trademarks and these are the worst types of trademarks we start with the best fanciful and arbitrary and suggestive those are the trademarks that will give your brand the most protection The ones that won't will be descriptive and or generic. So you try to stay away from the descriptive and generic trademarks and go over to the fanciful and arbitrary trademarks. But, um, yep, it's, it was a wonderful presentation. The next one that we do, it'll probably be something related to like either winning or getting or capitalizing a cannabis license because especially with social equity, um, they win the license and it's almost like cruel when you look at it it's like you're the only people that are eligible to win the license are these people but they can't afford the license why are they the only ones that are eligible to win and then it just makes no sense and it almost seems like it is concocted it it forces them to go ask some person with money yep yep and then lose, lose lose out on ownership of the actual situation yep 
Yep, yep, yep. It's interesting, okay. but also the. I mean, then we'll do more on that. I think with the, the federal. Just out of touch, have, man. They're out of touch with reality. They've been yep. living in a box. They don't know much about weed because their job didn't allow them to know shit about weed. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't fault. I can't. Well, we can't. We can fault the entire system, right? But I'm not going to fault those individual people for not because now they're trying. Now they're yeah. paid. To try to be the best version of this stuff. And the problem is, and I'm gonna be real because I'm one of the people. I relate to a lot of those people because when I first got in cannabis, all I kept hearing was like, oh, damn, you're former Microsoft. Oh, we don't like money. I don't like corporate. Like, even now, we don't like the yep. big MSO, the corporate. We're afraid of narcs. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, what about what about my brother who's a former Marine who probably needs a little weed in his life to chill out? Right. Yeah. What well, about what? Why, about why does his federal benefits are at risk if he tries to medicate himself? That and then also, yeah. too, I'm former Microsoft. I'm former corporate. You know how many people didn't hire me at first? You know, not really? Because not the right fit. Absolutely. So it's, it's one of those things where even me now, five years in, six years in, people look at me like I'm authentically in the culture and from the culture. But I used to work in Microsoft and I just shopped at dispensaries. The difference is, is I just never stopped helping other people with their content. And so to me, it's just not fair to create this culture of, oh man, like fuck the MSOs. They're just caring about this. Like, no, nah, man, you know what's crazy is when federal legalization happened, it is because those MSOs paid for lobbying dollars. It actually, a big part of that is because they got out there on the front lines, not because of our complaining asses on LinkedIn or podcasts. But, but, but also like, if the thing sells itself and it does, because it's cannabis, but at the same yeah. time, it's a business. And so you can't yeah. look at it like what you're doing isn't a business and you have and then it's a highly regulated business where it's very difficult to go from state to state the best method to do that is probably what burner does and then they will enter into ip licensing agreements because that trade secret that you have is that genetic that that gary payton or or whatever um, like the well, that's gonna... burner secret i think you're right it's he he was part of the like growing and store process whereas the other mso is just investors right like mm -hmm. isn't this what we're like it's kind of funny in America how like Man, when your kids, right it is capable of being done the right way. We just don't like the way that the well fifty-seven or like, sixty are doing it. Yeah. But don't you like in your whatever it is when you're coming up for whatever it is? Don't you be like selling out's a bad thing, right? But if you're the artist, that's the whole freaking goal. Like I want to pack stadiums and, and put T-shirts on and, and 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 have a big happy house. But like we we get mad like no, nah, we're not going to sell out. And that's kind of like with the MSO versus there's good ones and bad ones. There's people who grew and understand. And there's people who are like, yo, green rush. Let's crack the code on all of it for everybody. Let's let's yeah. go ahead and nail it right now. Everybody, everybody, you guys all got to understand. You are in music and you want to be in stadiums. You know who you have to work with? Because who the stadiums have signed have signed with first rights live nation. I was going to say oh, yeah. Ticketmaster, but Ticketmaster and live nation might be the same company. That's the Big same right so it's like it's at the end of the day you got to understand that the way the world operates is based on who got there first and, and the structure and the models that are already in place it might be a systemic problem that isn't conducive to to your success but that's where at least getting signed right either it's the label or getting the ability to get a bank loan or the ability to get a first round of funding it's up to you to get to that first point and make the right call and figure out how to get your leverage back somehow whether it's you being the brand person or building so much value that you are it can't be cut out, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think that's the part where people drop off. Of. People's if you're a if you're a small beer company, your point was to get purchased by the biggest, right? Yeah. And then well, at least distributed. 
Probably the at biggest. Least, and then yeah. they, and then they're going to start trying to buy you because they'll see they know what beer is moving when they run that distribution company. I mean, and now you know, if the economy's down in so many different areas. If you are actually, if your goal was to get to this point and hit it, and you were making a bunch of money for a couple of years, and now a recession's in, now you don't even want that per- that percentage of the company that you were nickel and diming over. Now it was actually worth it to give it away because now you got, you just tanked that much money too, mm-hmm. right? So right it's all about timing, right? And and making that right call at the right time, and and hopefully just you're good enough at what you did, you can build another brand and do it again. Exactly. Well, we'll see about this because we do actually have some stock news to report on for this week. Came out on September 7th. We have a bumper for it. Uh, not necessarily the stock news that you would want if you're an MSO, Uh-oh. but let's uh, let's do the little bumper real quick. Hot stocks. Ascend Wellness's CEO has been arrested and charged with domestic battery. Uh, According to Cannabis Business Times, reported on September 7th, 2022, Abner, his real name, Curtin, who also serves as the multi-states operator's chairman, was released from Miami-Dade County Jail and issued a stay-away order. These are uh, very often called orders of protection or uh, OOPs, but then I guess in Florida they call them stay-away because you know how Florida is. They might not know what an order of protection is. Uh, anyway, uh, so Abner was arrested on September 6th for misdemeanor battery charges in so- southern Florida, according to the Miami-Dade County Clerk of Courts. He's a 55-year-old man from the New York-based multi-state operator and was released on only a $1,500 bond uh, and then issued a stay-away order with pretrial conditional victim contact allowed, according to the Miami-Dade Clerk. Uh, what do you think about this? Is this um, something that MSOs like- really need? Well, I first saw it, I was kind of like, because uh, I saw it on Twitter, and I kind of like rolled my eyes about like, why the fuck do I care about some CEO with, you know, personal domestic issues or whatever. But then I realized, you know, these companies are pretty big. And it's like if somebody say, uh, if Bezos did some shit, you know, it'd be a news <coughs> article in a, in a regular paper. So, I mean, as far as a news story, sure, because it's going to reflect their holdings. I mean, if you're, you know, into that company and into that thing, you want to know the kind of people that run your show, right? I mean, that's kind of like with cannabis is still, I think recreational has brought this about where we can kind of know more about the, how the meat is made, uh, you know, how, how the hot dogs made behind, like who's behind it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, so, I mean, if you're in that or a shareholder of that company, you probably like questioning, you know, should you pull out right now or not? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they, you can never really, I haven't read the police report, I don't know the facts, but at the same time, it, it shows a personality trait that might be opportunistic and bully. And so if somebody is willing to do that in a more domestic sense, what are they willing to do in the boardroom or in business or when they're looking at their flower and its quality? Are they just going to move product, you know? And, yeah. Either way, that is Ascend Wellness. They have the Ozone brand of cannabis. If you would like to spend way too much money, you can buy some in the state of Illinois. Maybe also Illinois. Oh, no. These guys are multi-state. And so uh, they're they're the limited market multi-state because why would you compete with price when you could compete by limiting the number of people who can actually get into the game? So that you, and I'm not saying that they're violating the uh, Sherman antitrust law, but for some reason, in these limited market states, the price of wholesale flour never goes below three thousand dollars a pound. For some reason, 
Uh, they're cheaper than that, huh, Joey? Than Cali, I'm, they're getting cheaper pounds than that. Cali, I'm not including that. You have to talk about Arkansas. You're talking about Illinois. You're talking about Pennsylvania, Florida. Um, also, New they Jersey, want to take a messed up medical until recently. New York, yes, uh, Maryland, okay. Utah. You're talking about the limited market states where oh, gotcha. uh, soon to be Alabama. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, the price of cannabis is pretty much toast in the places that have been around for a long time with lots of licenses or, you know, large traditional markets. Just anywhere with more than 5 million, 10 million people has a large traditional market at the end of the day. Um, metropolitan areas, whether it's a small one or a large one, they all have, you know, traditional markets built into them. Uh, as they legalize, people will pay too much weed for weed at first, the more licenses will generally become available. But unfortunately, yeah, in those states that you mentioned, um, it's 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 not dropping because, you know, the government's all fucked up and those people, those MSOs were all, as I mentioned earlier, they were just more relatable to those people in those positions in government. They were more, uh, you know, how, how often are you gonna meet the grower in Humboldt or out there in the middle of nowhere in Michigan when everything's handled in the major cities in boardrooms and suits, you know, it, it does make all of this makes sense. It's just not good. It's not good sense for what the culture wants. Right. Those states that you, you stated, though, are they all regulated medical markets? Like in Washington State's medical market it was, quote, unquote, unregulated. So, like, the pounds were pretty cheap. But like in those ones you mentioned, because like you had regulated medical in Illinois first. Which blew my mind. I'm like, oh, people paid for a license and registration and stuff, but because uh, here it's more of a libertarian, like, nah, my gun, my right type shit. You know, like it's. Uh, yeah, Washington know. had the just like the the medical card and then the caregiver program, right? And that was what Cali did, and Oregon did the same yep. thing. Colorado did, you know, their version of all that. I think those are the four places that really had that that thing rocking hard first, yeah. and for years, right, decades. Oh yeah. Uh, and to, in a couple of the cases and yeah um yeah with rec launching it became you know limited licenses for sure in washington right only yeah, so many much, allowed unlimited much. uncapped or whatever for oregon i think similar slash identical for oklahoma i think new mexico did a version of that i think no new mexico's wide open arizona did a version of it so yeah like arizona, arizona's arizona. very limited new mexico open yeah, arizona just became an mso place i was we were just there and that's mm -hmm. what everybody kept telling me and i was like wow everybody all these like everybody's walking around in mso branding and i was just like wow the culture <laughs> everyone in arizona's culture that's what who they had to work for that's who they had Correct. to work for. yeah Where, well their Nevada, history, arizona. it's like imagine if you worked in silicon valley coming up and you just had all those tech companies, bangers on your resume, and those are all just MSO tech companies. That's all yeah. these people have to, had to work with. They came from well, small mom and pop medical shops, yeah. and then those mom and pops were gobbled up by the tens and twenties by Sunnyside, Verano, Ascend. Um, yeah, yeah, really, Cresco. really, Cresco. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, well, that's where the industry kind of has been. But there's one thing that we like to support on the channel um, and in the podcast, and people love it. And so let's play some Name That Strain, because the Name That Strain has nothing to do with the MSOs and has everything to do with the product that we love, uh, the okay. cannabis plant in and of itself. And so a uh, quick little bumper, and then we'll be back to play some Name That Strain. There it is, completely obscuring uh, me. And then I guess we move him like that. Now it's completely oh. obscuring Joey. Uh, <laughs> but 
Uh, it is. It, it's it's uh, parents. One of them is a uh, granddaddy purple, and so that's one of the hints that we have. And you can see the genetic in there with the granddaddy purple. Um, I'm really stoked. My home garden has some great some GDP from Sunabis Farms, and um, it's too young for me to know if it's going to be a boy or it's going to be a girl. But I'm praying that it's a girl because uh, I, I I just don't want a, a GDP stud. Uh, but that's one of them and uh, uh, colors all over the place, uh, as you can see, which uh, its name kind of reflects that you can see that colors all over the place. And, and it's not Skittles. That was last week. So there's another little little hint for the people. That's pretty, though. Rainbow. It sure is. Oh, you know, and that's the that's the oh goodness. Chad Westport. Shout out to. Uh, you know, former yep. member of the channel, still uh, you know, sometimes a member of the channel, throws us a buck or two every now and then. Uh, and so, yeah, Chad's been a guest on the show, and that guy can just pick something out. And and so that is Free Pebbles, a.k.a. Free Pebbles OG, Fruity OG, hybrid, of course, by Alien Genetics, which I guess is different than Alien Labs. Uh, sweet hybrid, you know, it does look fairly sweet with that purple-ing um, mm. on there. Purple-ing is a word, by the way. Uh, genetics have green ribbon and granddaddy purple and Tahoe alien create a tropical berry flavor reminiscent of the cereal waiting for a uh, cease and desist from the Kellogg. Not no wait. <laughs> Who does fruity pebbles? It's not Kellogg's. I think it's post. Glenn Mills or, yeah, whatever. General Mills. Oh, I'm not sure if it's them or if it's post, if it's post, right. you know, maybe they just, that would be hilarious. Could you see the boardroom? Oh my gosh. Miggy's got uh, uh, well, a live one. Yeah, they're like two foot tight. I'm actually sitting down. I'm growing like three grams here. <laughs> well, I'm trying to find out where the grams are. Right now, I just see some leaves. You're making some oh, yeah. rope. Yeah. Um... Well, it's a girl, but like, so my, my wife was making fun of me too because uh, what happened was I did a pre veg. It's a clone, two mm -hmm. clones. And I fucked up because of the light cycle. I didn't put them in a dark room. I just put them on the windowsill during the uh, middle of our summer, which is light all the fucking time. So they started vegging, and then I put them out in the, the, the outside properly, and uh, then they started growing again. So I got to, like, fight the winter. I'm going to have to put, like, a little greenhouse around them just to, you know, hopefully make something. But, yeah, Chad's a fucking wee Jedi, man. He, you guys should uh, talk to Chad, man. Yeah, he's, out of, he's out of Washington State, too. And he's... um. Uh, he helps over on the Future Cannabis Project channel as well. And, you know, big shout out to them. What they're, what they're doing for the plant is very important. They talk yeah. about it from genetics. They talk about it from the cultivation. And they talk about it from uh, the regenerative agriculture aspect of it. Because, it, it, you know, if my farms are anything, and first we have to raise several million dollars for them, uh, I would hope that you're able to grow with the sun and newts that you can make, you know, from the land and other inputs. To try to really, I mean, you have to mind your margin in this business. This this $3,800 a pound that Verano gets in Illinois, that's not real. It's not. You know, you are creating a fiction of this market. Mm. Uh, it, and so if you are ready to sell your product, and like Sunabus, like they were saying, they were growing it for 50 bucks a pound. You know, that's KNF farming, outdoor, sun-grown, Humboldt County. That's great. 75 bucks a pound, 50 bucks a pound. Yeah. Even, I mean, outdoor in Michigan, stuff like that, you can get that price point. And then if the price of the, the flower goes down to six, $700 a pound, $500 a pound, you're still making multiples on it, you know? And so you're mining your margin and you're going to be able to keep your farm open. But 
if you're doing this science weed and you have these particular types of lights and you're just addicted to these particular types of nutrients and everything like that and every run that you do you're how do you get that price point down especially like i don't understand how socal does it because like it's so expensive for that real estate and they grow indoors and they do like hydro and stuff like that and so maybe it's because of quantities of scale but man what well, probably like florida and, you know i think integration capabilities vertical helps. we can be vertically integrated here yep and there's oh, delivery yeah. here deliveries delivery really helps because then you know, you could do the Amazon warehouse uh, style. They call it in Massachusetts, it's called the delivery operator license. Uh, and so for the next year, I think until 2024, it's social equity only. But uh, this delivery operator license is the balls because then you don't have a brick and mortar shop. You have a dispensary and cars and a website. And then you can just sell directly to the consumer. Plus you can get like a micro license, which is only 5,000 square foot of canopy. But it's two to three thousand pounds a year, and then you're able to recapture that and and create your own brand, and then of course you know make some money because the once the brands are or once once all the farmers have their license, then how do you move your product? And that's where you see like white labeling. White labeling is so much more common in California than it is in Illinois. Well, the kind of uh, the consumer's still not to a level where they care about the growth and stuff. You know, uh, like I always say, you know, if they just require lab testing you know showing all the pesticides used or whatever people will still buy it you know people freak out like oh i can't be transparent but people will buy shitty weed because they don't know no better but they'll pay that price because uh you know whatever hey joey did uh you see that uh seattle passed a uh social equity program here recently the city did the council mm -hmm. did you guys dig into that i really have no idea what that's about yeah um kind of similar to what we were talking about earlier about how they're re really specifically requiring a certain human with certain like felonies or charges or you know there's a very specific portion of the population that it's going to apply to that they're trying to empower but is it like uh actual licenses you're issuing because i thought the lcb the governing board that's who we had a you know that's who issues the bottom line license and then like Seattle just seems to me kind of weird that they're going to have a flex, but not even offer like uh, lounges. You know, one time they talked about legalizing lounges and that's not even a thing still statewide. That yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, that's that's an interesting one for sure. Um, <laughs> it it doesn't. Let me see. I'm just pulling up whatever high times wrote up real quick about it. Oh, right on. Um, Let's see. Let's see. Suite of bills would create a city level level social equity license intended to reduce barriers toward opening cannabis stores for the underrepresented communities and those impacted groundwork for future cannabis related businesses. <clears throat> Here it is. Legislation would require a 90 day retention of store workforce when ownership changes. Similar protection, similar to protections created for hotel workers in 2019, create a short term cannabis advisory committee selected in collaboration with city council to collect input on cannabis equity and needs from workers, members, and industry leaders. A needs assessment would be implemented to understand additional steps to make the industry more robust and sustainable for diverse communities. Um, the legislation would work in tandem with county and community efforts to further the work of expunging convictions. Finally, the legislation would develop a state and federal legislative agenda promoting cannabis equity, safety improvement, cannabis investments, ac uh, access to banks. So Can they give me more licenses? Are they going to release more licenses? No, this is just, man, sitting here right now, this, okay, this is what's frustrating about this kind of stuff is when, when, when it feels like a PR play, this is when it feels yeah. like. 
Yeah, right? word. Because like if, especially word. if they have no new licenses. Because like oh. Mickey qualifies as social equity. He's been yes. arrested. And he's uh, he's also a minority, but at the same time, like you know, uh, I I really have the stripe that think the social equity really is the arrest, and not necessarily like you know wh- what type of person you are. That's just you yeah. have no control over that. You know, if you were arrested, that really is the the federal government or the state government or the local government reaching out and taking crap from you, and that's that's the aspect of the equity. Uh, I mean, when it comes down to it, because equity is like an ownership right. And you so know, there's going to be there's going to be a checks and balance right. of uh, every city's and region's version of that. Not every area or city in America or across the world has uh, black, brown, Asian immigrants. You know, what an immigrant could be an American in another country, right? So it's like there's every aspect of that is going to be a checks and balance and vary from area to area, right? And I think that's where Seattle historically is as a very uh is a disgusting history of racism towards uh, Asian people and and black and brown people. So yeah. I just seems, like you said though, a PR move. Like all these everybody keeps asking me what do I think about it? And like I don't really see Are there any, any new tangible. licenses? Exactly. Yeah. Ultimately, it doesn't come down to our, our great. Exactly. Like, you know, 250 more licenses to, to, or what's up? You know what I mean? It's like that's that's yeah. ultimately what kind of needs to happen. So, because like otherwise, it really is just, a, and then that's one of those insufferable PR um, uh, releases where the only reason to do it was for virtue signaling, nothing yeah. substantive. Just like we all believe this, so we're yeah. just going to say it. We're not going to literally do anything. You're it did make national news. That was great. I mean. Yeah. The story making high times, this that's great for the culture and the, and the region to at least put a little bit of kind of pressure like that. But at the end of the day, uh, and then making national news on some uh, 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 in various aspects as well. But you know, again, it, it, until <laughs> Washington, Washington's a rough one because there's no out of state money there putting pressure on that kind of like what we were talking about before. There's none of these yeah. big big super investors and the companies that make the millions there. They've been doing it for five, six, seven years. You know, yep. they, they don't want too much to change. No, they Washington don't. State? I mean, it's it's no. a limited market. And so it's a limited market without the MSOs. So they, you know, that's a government commerce clause claim waiting to happen. But like a lot of the social equity stuff is an equal protection claim waiting to happen. And with the com- composition of the Supreme Court for the next 20 years, unless like they get all in some weird bus. Ex- you know, explosion well, we're we're friends happened. with the people, yeah. the two of the biggest companies in Washington. You know, we I'm, yeah. I'm homies with the people that make a lot of the moves for that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Or, mm. or someone on our team is homies with that shit. Or they we, we know we know multiple people over there. I personally uh, have a lot of respect for the Fat Panda Group. I got a lot of respect for Northwest Cannabis Solutions, a.k.a. Forefront Ventures. Uh, they both of those groups have supported us and you know we just have to hope that they all continue doing their part from a community role uh in terms of allowing opportunities for people and i think Mm -hmm. that's all we can do is play our role in that community and try to put the right kinds of respectful pressure on people and show up and vote and uh ultimately uh try to put the right kinds of people in power to help them make the right decisions they already make the millions, as we said, whether they want things to change or whether they're doing their part to change. You know, we're working with Fat Panda on a campaign right now, uh, specifically for the community. They donated 2,000 joints um, to a dispensary uh, to, uh, and let them make the profits go towards giving access to people 
you know, veterans in need, uh, people with HIV, etc. So it's like oh. they're doing things right. All of these yeah. groups are hopefully, you know, they're all engaging or supporting in the right ways. But in this particular instance, we definitely want to encourage a social equity aspect. It's been well overdue, and it should have been set up that way from the beginning. Well, with Washington State, I mean, and and I think Oklahoma should really look at too. Uh, you know, and I was gonna, I'm still gonna try and cover this later, but um, in a nutshell. When um, I-502 passed, a year later, SB 5052 passed, which put the nail in medical's coffin. And I was looking at that bill, and that bill fucking passed in six months. It went in, like, October, passed in April. Uh, Homegrown still sit in the goddamn committee for three years later. So that's definitely an issue. Is that there's money that motivates and changes the law. You know, it's I, I don't see anything actually proactive happening until someone in the very higher ups most likely in the lcb when they change staff gives a fuck on say the patients because it's all about uh, relationships it's all about specific conversations over and over from the right people you know i'm sure the likes of advanced nutrients and the light companies and all the different uh home grow uh you know soil and all the you know little uh, uh retailers out there in washington you know it'd be crazy if actually all of them banded together put together their petition and fought but you know the same way that it's sitting there on their desk sitting here in the culture i haven't seen like anything like that there's no press releases that i'm getting hit with saying support me on this mission that i'm doing all those people are complacent with with they they are not taking a step back and looking all right how can i do this and make well, more help this culture and community grow to the right place they didn't know what was going to happen right legislation and the legalization started happening so fast at the very beginning yeah. in some of these states and then everybody was just happy with it and then it was mad expensive we complained they rewrote it right in washington they cut the tax way down right and then the market yeah. just started doing exactly what capitalism does cut 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 throat cut throat from a retail standpoint price drop price drop try price drop more people came online more weed became available market crashed happened in Colorado happened in Oregon then it happened here one by one by one by one yep get ready illinois it's coming but i oklahoma happened right yep. that's coming that panda yeah. point brank great strength Wonderful company too. Uh, we we have a we have a different story out of New York. That's um, we should really get a bumper that's just somebody going like want want like you know the sad uh, the sad sound. <laughs> the trombone. Uh, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna do this as this is an ironic bumper. New York officials are saying that adult use cannabis sales won't start until the middle of next year. That's right, the middle of next year, whereas they've already licensed over 200 hemp farmers all across the state of New York and said that they can now grow cannabis. They won't have anywhere to sell it until the middle of next year. And right now is also the, they call it the conditional adult use retail dispensary license, the card, because everything needs to have an acronym that you can pronounce. However, you have to be a justice-involved person, which means that you have to have a conviction for a cannabis crime in New York, plus you have to live in New York, plus you also have to have had at least 10% of an ownership stake in a business that has made a profit in the past two years, or uh, be on a stakeholder of just the right type of nonprofit, and they're only going to be giving like 25 out of the 150 to the nonprofit. So it really is about the uh, business, business ownership. However... That's not you bad. Gonna, they were thinking about it. It gets better. 
you can stuff the ballot. Two thousand bucks a pop. Apply, apply, oh, apply, 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 apply. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars later, you might win. But so if they're giving the licenses, it's the, the same to... type of scam that they had in Illinois, where you get stuff yeah. the ballot. They just had in Connecticut, where you can stuff the ballot. And now in New York, you can be stuffing ballots to get that justice-involved social equity license. But you need a conviction though first, right? You need the conviction. And you need somebody to like, because if you do the actual app, it only takes about three to five hours. Uh, and then, well, it's a conditional provisional app. After you win, you're going to need the whole Megillah because you have to be compliant. And so like this one is just eligibility, put them in the lottery. How many times can they be eligible and apply and apply and apply and apply and apply? And uh, the, the OCM, which is the Office of Cannabis Management in New York, they did not dissuade me that it's a rigged um, uh, lottery. Mm. Uh, no one that is also over there has dissuaded me that's a rigged lottery. So go ahead and apply and then, you know, apply and apply and apply and apply and apply. But who's going to spend $200,000 applying? Somebody that's got 20 million bucks, you know? <laughs> well, maybe they're staging themselves up with all the arrests they're doing now. You know, all those cars that they've been locking up and... and... That's gonna be their new. Uh, it's rigged. Uh, it's not. Like, when you see lotteries no, like this, create, yeah. you gotta think. I, I want you guys to know when, when you look at uh, here in California, right? Say the 39 million people, you got the you got the Bureau of Cannabis Control or whatever it is, uh, or the, no, the Department of Cannabis Control here, the DCC. It just switched. You know, you know who's always hiring like crazy? Them. Hmm. Oh, them. You know what New York is gonna need? A that. lot of yeah, yeah. A lot. It's gonna be a big nightmare. It's gonna be a big fucking shit show. That's mm -hmm. what's gonna happen. And it's gonna it's cost so them a lot of money. It is, but they don't yeah. care. Like Illinois didn't care. Connecticut didn't care. Like Illinois rang the register. They made seven million bucks on uh, application fees in 2019 when they did their dispensary thing, and you had to be social equity. It's like easier to jump through those ho hoops than in, in New York right now. But you know, dude. Uh, if anybody's ever like gone over the books and records of dispensaries, I don't think somebody would be dumping a quarter million, a half a million bucks in the application fees that they realized, you know, the, the audit risk and also just the, the IRC 280E. It's not as profitable as you may think. And then if they come out and they're just going to keep doing licenses, because with New York, the state is 19 million. And if you assume one dispensary per 25,000 individuals, which is what Connecticut does. And like when I do the uh, a lot of my dispensary financial model math, I usually assume that number as fully mature where there's one dispensary per 25,000 people, which is approximately the same thing uh, that it is for Starbucks, like one Starbucks per 25,000 people. Uh, and then you get 775, I think, dispensaries that will be in New York. And these first 150, sure. But then you really, your your paper license that you have, that right to, to do it, uh, that might only be worth 500,000 to a million bucks after all the dispensaries are out there. Well, wouldn't the value really be once you get the brick and mortar in place? That way you can get that brand out there. It's cash get flows. That movement. It's cash flows. And so, like, once you get the cash I mean, flows, then you can start doing discounted cash flow analysis for your free valuation. I mean, don't, let's let's go back to what we said earlier about you know the real point of this though is to sell out to a big one, right? Because you mm -hmm. know, e even if you're one of the small ones, right? McDonald's calls you to buy your little burger store. You're probably going to sell out unless you love every single day running dispensaries, right? So no, it's, a grind. it's it's one of those things where, again, having already watched Nevada and these other, you know, we'll call them the, the, the legacy ones that were already launched first, Washington, right? You know, they're going to all get gobbled up. 
they might start small. They might even expand to a couple states here and there and be a little baby craft MSO. Some, someone's going to come calling. You know, oh, one know. Of the, big, the big investment company, the, you got to think, okay, great. You're a small craft brand. You got seven, seven dispensaries nationwide and they're all the same little baby brand and they're all doing their thing, right? But guess what? Yeah. When Morgan Stanley is able to come in and buy it, and now yeah. you're no longer worried about Ascend and Verano and all those pure leaf, those versions of MSOs. Oh, I <laughs> think they're all going to be dead. Well, if you look at them, and if you don't, I recommend you do. You can go buy their annual reports and read them. I think that, you know, just how Aurora Cannabis is, is going to fail and it's just a black hole of money. A lot of these current publicly traded cannabis companies are the exact same thing because they they raised a lot of money, they spent a lot of money, and they don't have a lot of cash flows to push up the price of their shares. So they're all uh, negative, except for True Leaf, which rigged the state of Florida. And it's yeah, still... Which small cannabis brand or, or like new brand that's entering, like, which, Miggy, are you going to, you say you want to launch, say you move down here, you're like, man, I'm ready to launch a brand. I got a bunch of money I've been saving up. I'm in, I'm in Cali. I'm in Arizona, yeah. or wherever you want to be. Are you going to be like, oh, Joey, take me to the biggest MSO you've got. And I want to look at their flower. I want, I want that in my bags. Who would ever say that? Yeah. You know, you know what's funny, dude? I, uh, I have an opportunity today to go to an event with uh, um, uh, Ricky Williams and uh, uh, Sean Kemp. It's a, uh, we call it Fairchild event. But uh, uh, I mean, thinking about Ricky Williams, like when I was a kid, dude, like everybody knew Ricky Williams smoked, right? When he played, because Ricky really Williams nice played, guy. huh? He's a really nice, nice guy. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I'm just thinking like uh, from my youth perspective, like the the, the man was a, a player, an elite athlete and uh, with dreadlocks in the NFL, right? And so you always hoped like he would speak out for legalization back then when I was a kid. I was like, ah, this would be great. But then you realize it's your name, it's your reputation. He's trying to make his bag. It's contract. So can... Yeah. I'm sure yeah, if we I... read his contract, something in there <laughs> said, don't talk about it. And especially in the NFL 20 years ago. But you know, thinking well, he got, today, the, he was the first guy that got that got in trouble and was all over ESPN and Sports Center because of it. He's the original. Yeah. So I was just thinking today, though, like because he's out there, he's got his brand out there, and if I had that opportunity, but I also heard that he's very, very deep in the plant, like very, uh, you know, CBD, CBN, like all the cannabinoids, like technical stuff. So he ha he goes into the plant with a perceived uh, goal. I couldn't. I think I just. There's so many varieties of the plant. There's no way I could be like, this is something I want to be in, like as a grow in, in branding. There's no way the consistency of growing and everything like that. Uh, uh, like we were saying, the whole point is eventually people sell out just so they don't have to work, right? I know a guy who, uh, um, uh, he's got a, uh, a grow selling. He's just burnt out. You know, he's making enough to get by and live. But he's selling his grow. He's like, I'm just done of trying to compete against the rules and the other stuff. So <laughs> some people do sell out to the big MSOs and others just say, you know what? Um, this is tiring. You know, you can, it's not you what can I thought. You can be a good person. You can be a great yeah. person. And you can be a good and great business person and all the accolades and all the things. And still never forget that 99% of businesses fail in the first five years. Mm. It's a lot of them. I don't think it's 99. Timing, it's, timing, timing. It's a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. Especially for, if it's your first venture and you've never run mm. a business before. Um, but yeah. Most people didn't run businesses in cannabis. They ran operations in cannabis. Yeah. 
And then they also figured out how to do sales as an operation, but they weren't businesses with branding and marketing, whether it's a technical definition or whatever. We need to, we got to separate the difference between trapping and business. There's a business experience in both, but there's a difference. Well, let's talk about some history because this is one of the nice ones that I like. And it's the difference between a land race and an heirloom strain. All right, let's do some cannabis history. We're talking about something from seedsman.com. Land race versus heirloom cannabis. Now, where does an heirloom seed typically start? I mean, if we're talking about cannabis versus tomatoes, the answer is going to be different. I think we're talking about tomatoes or other plants that have never been illegal. We really have to go back like 50 years. However, if we're talking about cannabis, I think maybe 20 Maybe if you go back before the year 2000, I mean, here's the land race. And of course, the land race just means where it came from based on its genetics and and where like kind of like coffee plants or like cocoa plants or cannabis plants. They just happen to grow in particular areas of the world. And here are very many of them. These are the Hindu Kush mountains right here, uh, the northern part of India. There's Nepal and then up into Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan. Uh, which is interesting. I did not know that the stands up here outside of the Afghanistan, <laughs> because the Afghani is, of course, a wonderful one and one that I'm going to be popping some beans on. It's uh, it's grape soda crossed with Afghani or something like that. So I'm really stoked about uh, trying this uh, local geneticist from Illinois products. But um, what is an heirloom strain to you, Joey? What would you consider an heirloom strain or yeah, heirloom versus land race. We already talked about land race. So land race, Gen 1, weed grown outside in places where it's supposed to grow. People finding this somehow. It was a weed out there in the weeds, right? Simple mm-hmm. as that. Land race yeah. is whatever that means. And then heirloom would be those ones, people experimenting and crossing them over time. And all the way up, all the way up until like the 2000. Uh, I'd say heirloom two through uh, all the way up through like 2012. I don't know. Blue dream. I would say blue dream is not heirloom. Uh, You know, but that's me. Like, you know, I would say like AK 47, definitely an heirloom strain skunk. Number one heirloom strain, you know? Um, uh, But then like, once you get in like blue dream, that was like nine years after I was out of college. Maybe I'm just, old and you know i just figure that heirloom strains had to have been before 2000 so you what you got to realize is you were still part of the same generation of heirloom it was still it was still happening that that nine-year window it's a bigger it's a bigger like weed wasn't weed wasn't cannabis yet you know what i'm saying so like that's all heirloom weed strains and then cannabis started becoming like real legal with real retail experiences and then you started seeing words like designer exotic cookies uh, you know uh, uh dessert strains and mm-hmm. then and then there was other words besides heirloom do you think we'll get away from uh names that just go to like the phenotypes you know like profiles like through uh you know phylos or something mm-hmm. no. no branding no. yeah probably yeah. that's, that's funny because that went uh not even a little bit it's only gonna get worse yeah, well i'm just saying like did you you brought the, the the trapping scenario or comparison. I never really thought about like 
Because like when I used to sell weed, I never really cared. I just like, oh, this is good weed. This is about worth this much, and I'll break it up and sell this much. And uh, you know, a storefront's totally different. But like, I guess I always thought the good weed. Was... I could sell a weed called Good Purple. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. As long as it's decent weed, you can get rid of it, right? But decent gelato would sell too. Yeah. No, I never even thought about it. Then, like, how do you get rid of the shitty weed? Is that all just good good branding, too? Like, I mean, there's people out the there. Extractor. Ah. Yeah, okay, so that, that too. But, like, uh, how do you sell shitty weed? You sell it for, you know, $49.99 for ounces, and that shit will move quick, especially in places really? like Oregon and Oklahoma, super saturated places. Uh, yeah. A lot of cheap weed that's grown poorly is stuck outside or in a greenhouse that's already been paid for and financed or whatever the situation is that makes sense for them to cheap be that cheap so there's a all of a marketplace for all every different type of weed uh, but yeah i don't think uh people will switch away from any like whatever we see now and if we have a problem with it i think it only is going to exacerbate itself as the market gets more and more mature mm. Mm. Uh, you know how people hate shopping in the mall yeah. they used right? to well, they do now. Back in like 20 years ago, they loved it. I mean, there was a Kevin Smith movie from the mid 90s called Mall Rats, and that was what they would do. People would, because they didn't have anything else to do, like before the internet. And so they would go to the mall and hang out. I mean, I'm not sure if you've ever seen the movie Dazed and Confused. Basically, like before the internet in the 70s and whatnot, they didn't even have TV back then, or like you know, rotary phones were still popular. Uh, so you just hung out. And then uh, it, there was nothing really to do. Of course, you'd go to the mall. Like, what else are you going to do? You know? Now, now, buy everything online. Well, but we like, do have what? one more story that we can cover, okay. but it's uh, it is it is it goes along with this um, uh, history aspect of it. And if we're lucky, this will be the last DEA raid. And so now, uh, this is Lucas Soroy over in the District Court of Maine, and so he got raided by the DEA in the height of COVID in July of 2020. And, and then he called me and I made him a referral and I said, file a, file a motion to enjoin the uh, enforcement of your, your prosecution until they have an evidentiary hearing pursuant to this. Then I gave him a case out of the Ninth Circuit, which of course is um, California. The West Coast is the Ninth Circuit of uh, the Federal uh, Circuit Court of Appeals. And they have this Macintosh, uh, the United States versus Macintosh case from 2016, which really gave teeth to this Robacher Farr Amendment, which says that if the uh, operator is is doing their work pursuant to a state issued medical cannabis license and they are in compliance, as far as the state knows, they're in compliance with their state's program. Uh, there is not a dollar in the budget, not not even one. Uh, for the state of the, and by the state, I mean the federal government to prosecute that individual uh, for violating the Controlled Substances Act, uh, which is great. It's it's great. And now they, this is hopefully the second case. And then this might get appealed and it'll go up. But then we'd have, I, I believe Maine is in the first circuit. So then we'd have the first and the ninth circuit saying that you cannot bust the DEA. You cannot bust uh, a medical cannabis operator provided that they are operating within the compliance of their state regulation until and unless you have an evidentiary hearing that shows that they are out of compliance. Now, we report on the, this, this aspect of the budget all the time, and uh, they still have not opened this up 
to our states, Illinois, California, Washington State, where we have adult use like uh, legalization and uh, operators that are operating pursuant to a state issued license for adult use. In theory, the DEA could start right now and just raid everybody and shut them all down. There is money in the budget for that. There's just no political will. Right. There's the law, but the law can't be retrograded. I mean, that's one thing I learned from, from the Lance Glores trial. They tried using that, and the judge wasn't hearing it. The Lance Glore trial happened prior to this becoming an aspect. Yeah. He didn't have this in his toolkit to fight uh, because he was convicted. I want to say ten ish years ago, 2012, and so yeah, well, this yeah, didn't get before. into. It was even before then, and so like when those yeah. raids were happening from the DEA. That's when the Robocker-Farr amendment got inserted into the budget in 2014. So it was effective in the 2015 budget year. And it's been there ever since. And ever, every state that continues to legalize, they just add more and more states to this provision. And we just keep advocating that they drop, they just cross out the word medical and just put state marijuana license. Because mm. that would then cover the entire industry. That'd be nice. It'd be great. You wouldn't. I mean, the the problems with banking, the audit risk from the IRS. Sure, you're still going to have that. But if the DEA shows up and tries to shut you down, you can say, "What? I have this lawyer that gave me this legal opinion letter that says what I was doing is in compliance with the states and the federal law, and and therefore cease and desist. Please stop your rate." Uh, and, and they won't listen to that, of course. But then you have created some foundation for evidence and then you get into uh, court and then you can file a motion like this to enjoin them. And if this judge says, you're right, you didn't do the evidentiary hearing because of this guy, he still has his medical license from the state of Maine. He's still in compliance. He's still operating. But, you know, like sometimes it's not about whether it's right or wrong. It's about, you know, DEA agents that are—they don't care about lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sad. Hey, Joey. <laughs> On that sort of note. Yep. <laughs> so happy. It's such a great. So topic. hey, it could be the—it could be the case of the last DEA bust, isn't that? Well, yeah, it'll be huge. It'll be huge. I know it's a—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's incredibly powerful. They mean uh, Obama was still doing raids. Yep. Didn't, we didn't really yep. hear too many from Trump and whatnot. This uh, was, was in place with Trump. And so like this got in place in like the 15 year. So for yeah. the past, like the second term of Obama and all of Trump and all of Biden, all of this has been in place, but they've never expanded it to go from medical to whole adult use. And every year, like, you know, normal marijuana moment, our program, we're all like, expand the Robocker Farm protection so that it's all licensed uh, operations from the state yeah. so that because then, you know, uh, that legal risk goes away. But then, of course, you still have the problems with the, the double taxation from IRC 280E and the banking issues because banks really don't like lending to yeah, yeah. cannabis companies. Damn shame. Yeah, it is. But hey, you know, Joey, I did want to thank you for coming by and like spending an hour uh, talking on the cannabis legalization yeah, news program. How can people go check out your um, your content, your Respect My Region podcast and everything like that? No, I appreciate you guys. Thank you again so much for uh, for having me on the show. Uh, you guys can check out all of our content on respectmyregion.com for written articles, features, strains, you know, a bunch of different education there. And then we also have uh, about 
17 different podcasts. You guys can check us out on YouTube for those. Just search Respect My Region on TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, uh, .USA, uh, after Respect My Region on Instagram. Oh, man, I forgot to do an Instagram reel to say that you were on. And I forgot to also, you're not not just covering the West Coast. You guys are bi-coastal now. So you got Pat over there uh, in Chicago from the Canvas Library. Which is yeah, awesome. we're, yeah, we're working with in the Midwest. We have a podcast called the Canadian Cannabis Podcast, the Northeast Cannabis Podcast, the Midwest Cannabis Podcast, Legacy Cannabis Podcast, among many others. Uh, we will be we'll be, uh, we will be launching um, some other regional basic uh, centric ones here very soon. But right now, we're just trying to ride out the North American Weed Tour and just showcase what we're able to handle this year. Nice. Cool. Awesome. Well, you know, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. It's an hour in. I'm assuming that we're only talking to subscribers right now. And thank you very much for the members. The members, we would ask them questions. Uh, we'll do Ask Me Anything next week. Um, it's a bit that I'll get into. I need to make a bumper for it. And then it's a reason for them to stick around until the end, because then we can do questions. But, you know, one of the things that we do like to do is we uh, put our members in the credits. You know, people do this. We don't have a Patreon. If Google decides to demonetize the channel, we'll get one. And then we'll we'll go over and put all the Patreon members in the credits. But uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you later. Brown chicken, brown cow. Cool.